0: What's the first thing that comes to your mind when someone walks up to you and they say, We need to talk? We need to have a chat. Be honest, what, what goes through your mind? Is it, is it a good thing? Okay, great, let's talk. Do you think to yourself, um, Gee, what did I do wrong? Or uh, maybe you know what you did and you think, Man, I'm in trouble. You may be expected to be recommended or criticized, scolded, called out, even judged. And most of us don't like to be criticized or judged. When it happens, we can react by uh, defending ourselves, making excuses, or we try and justify our actions and words. You know, back in Genesis, when Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit that God commanded them not to eat, What happened when they heard God walking in the garden? They hid themselves. They were ashamed and they were afraid. No one likes to be found out. No one likes to be exposed. Even if we know that we're guilty, we fear admonishment because none of us wants to be rejected. Not much has changed since the days of our first parents. We still respond in the same ways, we're still doing the same things, and we still have tried to avoid being found out and exposed. We hide. We hide from admonishment. For many of us, the idea of admonishment is this picture on, behind me on the screen. Somebody standing there with a finger. I'm going to admonish you. We expect conflict or unpleasant and uncomfortable situations that are filled with awkwardness. Moments that uh, we can either be giving to somebody or receiving an admonishment. In fact, the main reason that we do not admonish each other is because we fear we'll be rejected. Or worse, that we will damage a relationship, even break a relationship. And there are many cultures in the world where the relationship is paramount. You would never break it. And if admonishment means to break it, you wouldn't admonish, which isn't done. So we figure it's not worth it. Why bother to go through all that pain? Well, if that's true, why does Paul in Romans fifteen fourteen call us to admonish one another? There must be a reason why we're told to do that. And it begins with an understanding of what the word admonish means. Paul uses a certain Greek word. I won't bother telling you what it is, just what it means. To admonish means to correct somebody. It means to steer or guide them, to direct them away from a false path, whether it's affecting other people or themselves. You know, Evans in his book, Horizontal Jesus, he adds this. Corrective or intentional guidance in order to prevent something from like it's bad that could happen or go wrong, or to direct toward something that can go right. Admonishment is not, not about pointing a finger. It's not about scoring points. not about making somebody feel bad or look embarrassed. It's about positive correction, positive guidance, all offered because you want the best for the other person. You know, when I walk in a neighborhood, especially in spring and summer, and I'm sure you've seen the same thing, I will see a parent's walking on the sidewalk. And one of their children is dashed ahead of them, either on a bike or they're running. And they're running to the corner of the intersection. And as the child gets to the corner, what does the parent do? They yell, stop, stop, at the corner. You're supposed to stop at the corner. Their fear is the child is going to run into the intersection. This is admonishment. When they get to the child and they bend down and they... They explain again why you have to stop. It's for your own safety. That's also admonishment. The first one is preventative. The second is correction. It's a terrible feeling to see it. I've had a friend of mine, her daughter, run past me towards an intersection, uh, and as she went past, she was wearing a hoodie. I reached out and I grabbed the top of her hoodie and pulled her back, because I wasn't sure if she was going to go into the traffic or not. That's admonishment. Helping somebody do what is right. In our series of the one the one other sayings in scripture, there's a reason why we talked about uh, acceptance of one another and why we talked about loving one another before we talk about admonishing. Because admonishment is done in the context of acceptance. When our relationships are securely built on mutual love and acceptance, then admonishment can properly and biblically be given and received. It's not just about giving admonishment. It's also about being able to receive it. The other person that I wanted to quote was Gene Getz. He writes, It is our unconditional acceptance of others that gives us the credibility to admonish and correct. By accepting others as Christ accepts you, we earn the right to admonish others who are straying from the straight path that God has outlined in the scriptures. So Paul tells us in this verse to admonish, to correct one another, to guide and to assist in order to help each other live as Christ intends us to live. In fact, if you think about the Bible for a second, think about your reading of the Bible How many times does God admonish his people? Scripture is full of admonishment. You know, Jesus uh, admonished James and John for wanting to sit beside him in the kingdom in their own throne. He corrected them. It was a wrong attitude. The prophet Nathanael, when he went to David and told him the story about uh, the rich man who took the poor man's sheep, was admonishing David, you took and killed Uriah to take his wife. That's admonishment. Not easy to give. Now, of course, admonishment may not be a pleasant experience, but it's for our good. And it's a demonstration of your love and concern. Now, biblical admonishment stands on two principles. There are two conditions that should be present if you're going to admonish somebody. The last thing I want to do is have you leave today saying, well, guess what? I am going to admonish people. I am ready to go. The gun is loaded, and I am ready to admonish people. I got the finger ready. No, that's not what we're talking about this morning. Because there are two principles that must be in place that uh, Paul talks about. In fact, before I get to Paul in Romans uh, 15, I want us to look at John chapter 1, verses 14 to 17. I've written them on the screen, so you don't have to turn there in your Bible. Because these two principles originate with Jesus, They're in fact Jesus, and Paul merely describes him for us in a different way for the church in Rome and for us. It says here in John, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Biblical admonishment is not just based on the law. It's based on grace and truth. Two elements that must be present if you're going to admonish somebody. Two elements you're looking for if you're admonished. You know, under God's law, brought by Moses, things are either right or wrong. Either you drove through that red light or you didn't. Either you obeyed God or you didn't. The law shows us where we fall short of God's standard, and since we can never consistently obey all of His law, we rightfully stand in fear of God's judgment, just like Adam and Eve, who hid themselves, knowing that they did wrong. This is a type of admonishment that we fear. This is a version of admonishment where we're called out, we're embarrassed. Criticized, rejected, and judged without compassion or love or understanding. We're guilty and someone is there to point it out to us. Accusation without correction or forgiveness or possibility of forgiveness. And this describes it for me. He knows he's guilty. But with a puppy, your first reaction is to say, Oh, don't do it again. You know, it's mixed with. Some compassion. So, if somebody admonishes you, this is how you should look. And they'll forgive you right away. Because Christ brings grace and truth. He is full of grace and truth. He is grace and truth. And so, the admonishment that God gives is always based in truth, but it's delivered in grace. It's given to us with the possibility of forgiveness the possibility of change. It is corrective. When Adam and Eve rebelled and disobeyed God, they were ashamed and afraid. And there were definite consequences. We see it in our world every day. We see it in our own lives, the consequences of the rebellion and sin. But look what God does. Back in Genesis 3, God does two things for them. We know in verse 7, when they had sinned, they took Leaves, and they sowed leaves to cover themselves. In verse 21 of Genesis chapter 3, it says that the Lord God made for Adam and Eve, or Adam and his wife, garments of skins and clothed them. Why did he do that? You know, the first and last sacrifice for us was made by God. The first sacrifice in Genesis was God sacrificing an animal to clothe Adam and Eve to hide, to clothe, to forgive. The last sacrifice is Jesus on the cross, doing exactly the same thing, but for eternity, for all time, washing us so that we would not have to stand in condemnation before God, but in forgiveness. The second thing God does, that's not enough. The second thing God does in his grace is he says, then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us knowing good and evil. Now, lest he stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat, live forever, and the Lord cast out Adam and Eve from the garden. Why? You know, if Adam and Eve had have eaten from the tree of eternal life, they would have been eternally con- condemned. So God cast them out to protect them from a greater sin of being in that condition forever. God's purposes to redeem us was in getting them out of the garden. That Jesus becomes the tree of life, eternal, that we, could, we partake of. You see, there can be no grace without truth. And truth without grace offers judgment without mercy. Grace and truth must be present when we admonish. Together, they're the two principles that Paul talks about. And these come only from Christ. They're not from us. We don't create grace. We don't create truth. They come from God who fills us. And so we come to our verse for this morning in Romans 15, 14. And concerning you, my brethren, I'm also convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. Paul takes these two principles of grace and truth and he rephrases them as goodness and knowledge. And these together render us able to admonish one another. Being full of goodness. You know, goodness does not come from us. We're not the source of goodness. Paul, earlier in the same book, in chapter 3, says, there is none righteous, not even one. There is no one understands, there is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together, Together, we become useless. There is none who does good. There's not even one. Well, if you're honest and look in the mirror, would you say to yourself, I'm pretty good. I'm a pretty good person. I'm full of goodness. No, we don't normally say that about ourselves. That has to be sourced in Christ. Well, since we have no goodness in us, how can Paul say in 1514 that he's convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness. How can we be full of goodness if there's nothing good in us? Well, it's because our source of goodness comes from Christ. He is full of grace and truth. When he fills us with his life, through his spirit, then we're filled with goodness. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, a person believes resulting in righteousness, goodness. And with the mouth, he confesses resulting in salvation. Because grace brings us into a right standing with God. And that's what he does. Paul also says that we're full of goodness. That Christ fills us with his spirit. In fact, one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives is goodness. He is the source. He is the one who fills us with the goodness, with his grace. Even more so, it says in Ephesians 2.8, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that you would walk in them. God has not only called you through his grace to know and worship him and be saved in his grace, but he's called you to do good things. Things that he already knows that you're going to do. So out of his presence in our lives comes goodness. Because practicing grace is practicing goodness. Since we have been made good, have goodness by the grace of Christ, we become ready. That's the place you want to be in as you begin to admonish somebody else. Because it is Christ sharing his grace through us, through you. Because admonishment is about correcting somebody, helping somebody be Christ-like. That's the motivation. And it's Christ in us who does that. Because God is full of grace. And that's the first principle. The other principle, truth, is seen by Paul as he describes it, is knowledge. Paul says that I'm convinced that you yourselves are filled with all knowledge. You know, we can know many things in life but not everything we know is helpful for us to live for God. The knowledge that Paul speaks about is knowing God's truth, which is found in Christ, and its result is result of knowing him. In Corinthians, Paul says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace God uh, which has given you in Christ Jesus and everything you are enriched in him in all speech and in all knowledge. Knowing his word means knowing Christ. And this is knowledge we must use as we admonish one another. It's grace and knowledge. He says that we're filled with this knowledge. Filled with all knowledge. Because it is Christ in us. Christ told his disciples in John 16 that when the Spirit comes, he will teach you. He will show you. He will lead you and guide you. He will fill you with truth. With understanding. And this is why... When it, we don't use truth as a weapon. We don't use our knowledge as a tool against somebody because it has to be measured and balanced by grace. So let me ask you this morning. If you ask yourself, are you more a grace giver or a truth teller? If there's a conflict situation, is your tendency to, I'll extend the grace or I'm going to tell the truth. Which one do you tend in personality? Do you find it easier to avoid telling the truth because you do not want to uh, hurt somebody or spare yourself the pain? Do you fear hurting a relationship and so you just avoid the tough task of correcting somebody even if they're harming themselves? It's a delicate balance. It's a situation-by-situation thing. Or does, or do you tend to find that uh, your truth for love overshadows your spirit of love? You know, isn't being right the most important thing? Some of us have challenges in that. My tendency is to be more of a grace giver. I don't like the conflict. It's a challenge. It's a turmoil. But sometimes truth is required in order to extend the grace. In reality, we need to balance between grace and truth. Grace gives us the freedom and the space from which we can give and apply truth to other people in the form of admonishment. Trent Ortberg, in one of his books, says, even the simple act of offering counsel to another becomes more valuable because guidance rooted in truth is more likely to hit the mark when offered with grace. It's more likely to be heeded. So, doing biblical admonishment. Admonishing one another is not something done lightly because it's a demonstration of love and grace. You know, when these conditions are met of goodness and knowledge of grace and truth in your heart, you have the right to speak into another believer's life. Sometimes you're the one that God has selected to bring to attention somebody's fault. Or maybe you're the one who needs to be admonished, and you know it, and you're waiting for somebody to come and say, you know, brother, sister, I love you, and I've noticed this, and uh, to grow more like Christ, I think some things have to change. Admonishment must be exercised through grace and truth, a grace that he places in us. But the purpose of admonishment, of course, is about seeing others grow, mature like Christ. You know, as Getz reminds us, admonishment must be based on God's specific will and ways, not on what we think should be or should not be doing. Admonishment is not about imposing our personal preferences. That's a tough one. Separating what God's truth says, what his word says, what his his word wants for us from our personal preference. So we have to think carefully before we admonish somebody. Am I admonishing the person out of what God has said in his word? Am I understanding of it? Or because I have a personal preference and I don't like what you're doing because that's just the way I am. There's a difference. So here are some guidelines. We stop. We make sure that God is filling us with his grace and truth, that goodness and knowledge is in us. We've done our homework. You know, ask yourself, am I speaking God's truth to another person for their benefit? What's my motivation? Because Christ is the foundation for admonishment. It comes out of a heart uh, that loves and has concern for others. It's also, and this is important, it's also personal. Admonishment is not done by a third party. It's not done by saying to somebody who's not involved at all, you know, know, this person is doing this. Somebody should talk to that person. That's called gossip. That's a great sin. If you see something that has to be done, and after you've prayed and sought the Lord and sought his counsel from his word and how to approach somebody, That's you do it personally, not through somebody else, not through a, a group of people. It's personal. And it's persistent. Because you love somebody if they keep harming themselves or if I'm doing something wrong and you see it, tell me. And if I keep doing it, keep telling me. That's what loving admonishment is. That's the application of grace and truth. It derives from pure motives. The desire is not to be right. The desire is to help another become more like Christ. That's the motivation of admonishment. And that's the honorable goal that we're striving for to build each other up, to love one another, to accept one another, to help each other live as Christ would have us live. So, what does this look like? I wanted to give us an example. Because it's, it's theory right now. It's happened in Scripture. Paul and Peter in Galatians 2. Paul admonished Peter. And, you know, if I ask the question, are you more a grace giver or a truth teller, I think Paul was a truth teller. I mean, my interpretation of him in, in, in his life, man, this guy was, he mixed grace, but he told you straight up what was going on. In Galatians 2, this is what he says. But when Cephas, another name for Peter, came to Antioch, a Gentile church, Paul opposed him to his face. I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, Peter used to eat with the Gentiles, Gentile believers. But when they came, the Jewish believers came, Peter began to withdraw and hold himself kind of aloof from the Gentile believers, fearing the party of the circumcision. Those were the ones who believed he needed to be circumcised to be saved in Christ. And the rest of the Jews joined Peter in this hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by the hypocrisy. So Paul, seeing all this, okay, he sees what's going on. Then in verse 14 of chapter 2, says, But when I saw they were not being straightforward, About the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, Peter, in the presence of all. So it's personal. I said to Peter, in the presence of all, if you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like the Jews? What Peter was doing was he was, because of custom, because of perceived pressure from other people around him, he was altering the truth of the gospel. We're saved by grace, not by anything else. So Paul is deeply concerned that Peter and the other Jewish believers were not honestly at this time, this moment, living the gospel. That's the truth. That's the issue. That's what he's talking about. And so based upon that truth, Paul extends this. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. If you notice what he does, I left a few verses out. If you notice what Paul does, he says, I see a big problem here. Not only is Peter doing this, but his actions are influencing a whole group of people, to do something wrong. So I'm going to address this. Here is the truth. We're saved by grace. Then Paul says, hey, I'm also Jewish. I'm just like you. I'm also a Jew. And we're not the Gentiles. But we're both saved by grace and not through following the Jewish customs and laws. And Peter, you know this. You know this. This is the extension of grace. We know in Second Peter, the end of 2 Peter, he talks about Paul. This is after the events. And he says this, Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found in, pe- in him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, wrote to you. Peter is a prime example throughout the scripture of being admonished and responding to the admonishment whether it was Christ admonishing him or his brothers admonishing him or God himself admonishing him saying, if I said you can eat this, I'm saying you can eat this, don't, say, don't tell me no. Here's an example of somebody who can receive admonishment. So what about us? How do we admonish? How do we help each other? How do we receive the help that others want to give to us? Well, admonishing each other. We know that Paul in this verse is convinced that we're also able, just like him, also able to admonish one another because we're filled with goodness and knowledge. We're filled with grace and truth. If you're not filled with grace and truth, and you're walking with the Lord, you're, you're a believer, but you're not filled with grace and truth at that moment. It's an emotional moment. You want to admonish somebody. You stop. You wait. It has to be in grace and truth. So don't leave you today, like I said, saying, well, I've got to admonish people now, uh, unless God has prepared you to do that. So lastly, are you willing to love somebody enough to admonish them in grace and truth? Are you close enough with somebody that you have a relationship that you can do that? Because God admonishes us through each other. And are you willing to receive admonishment offered in goodness and knowledge? When somebody lovingly points something out, is your reaction to say, wait a second, what about what you've done? Or is it to say, hmm, thank you. Let me uh, think about that. Or you're right. Help me to change. That's what admonishment is, biblically speaking. It's not a license to go out and to tell everybody admonishing them. Because this is referring to fellow believers admonishing one another. I'll leave you with this. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. We proclaim Christ. That's our objective. And we admonish every person with all wisdom, grace, and truth so that they may be presentable before God as complete in Christ. Being complete in Christ, being full of Christ, is our collective task as a church. That's what we do together. That's how we love each other. That's how we study the word together. That's how we pray together. That's how we worship together. It's because we are modeling how it is to live and be Christ in this world. And those of us who need help, which is all of us at different times, we expect each of us to help the other, to know enough of each other to do that. So let us be sure that we're filled with grace and truth as we admonish one another. Before we come to our concluding hymn, I'll just pray. Lord, thank you so much that you have not only admonished us yourself, but you have given us that ministry to each other. Lord, I pray that uh, you would fill us with your goodness and your knowledge, your grace and your truth, whether we receive or give admonishment, Lord, that it would be to your glory, to your honor, that you would continually be shaping and remolding us and changing us, that you would bring us closer to loving you, Lord, and love each other. This is our heart's desire before you, Jesus, that you'd be formed, complete, in each of our hearts for your honor and glory.